Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 321. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2017, Certified American-Grown Flowers. The Certified American-Grown program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for certified American-grown flowers. To learn more, visit AmericanGrownFlowers.org. We all have our flower crushes and those we admire from afar, never expecting to actually meet. So the chance to not only meet and spend time with Robbie Honey, world floral traveler, proud son of Zimbabwe, curious, accidental, botanist, and amazing designer, well, it was certainly a highlight of 2017. Robbie and I met at Holly Chapel's Flower Stock, the two-day design and creativity fest held for the second year at Hope Flower Farm, the historic compound Holly owns with husband Evan Chapel in Waterford, Virginia, not too far from the nation's capital. Holly and Robbie have collaborated on many occasions as instructors, but this was my first experience seeing Robbie up close and personal. Prior to this, my knowledge of him has mostly been by watching his Instagram feed. Robbie is the creative director at the design company bearing his name, Robbie Honey, based in London. Robbie has been immersed in botanical pursuits since he was a young boy roaming the wild grasslands of Zimbabwe. These adventures developed his already keen visual and olfactory senses and instilled in him a lifelong fascination with flowers and their scents. By the age of 17, he was studying horticulture and went on to work in the floriculture trade in Holland and Kenya. Honing his creative sensibilities further, Robbie studied interior design and photography at art school in Cape Town. Moving to London, he trained with floral designer Ming Vivers Carter and gained a thorough grounding in event floristry. Setting out on his own at 25, Hermes was his first fashion client, followed by Dior and Armani, establishing Robbie Honey as an in-demand florist within the fashion industry. With this rare combination of expertise in botany, floristry, and the visual arts, he started lecturing around the world on floristry and writing for the Wall Street Journal. Robbie Honey's first range of scented candles is inspired by individual white flowers, the scents of which have long beguiled him. Well, it was a delight to not only learn more about what inspires and motivates this talented human as an artist, but a joy to watch him design with American-grown flowers, including mini-grown at Hope Farm, and donated by others, including Harmony Harvest Farm, both Slow Flowers members, as well as to play with branches and blooms that Robbie foraged with fellow instructors Ariella Shazar and Holly herself. Uh, Flower stock was a wild ride, and I'm, I'm really glad I got to see it up close and personal. It was also a delight to sit down with Robbie and turn on my recorder for a conversation to share with you. Robbie discusses his white flower collection, a line of four candle fragrances inspired by Lily of the Valley, Jasmine, the Casablanca Lily, and Tuberose. Not yet available outside the UK, it is Robbie's goal to bring the collection to North America in 2018. We'll also discuss his forthcoming book, Accidental Botanist, scheduled for spring 2018 publication. Of the book, Amazon UK writes, Global adventurer Robbie Honey has spent the last 10 years dissecting some of the world's most exotic flowers. No plant is beyond his reach, whether growing deep in the Amazon rainforest or by the roadside in a Harare suburb, Robbie will jump, climb and clamber over whatever lies in his way to secure his floral prize. Dissecting the flower then and there, Robbie creates a miniature photographic portrait of each one following the traditional rules of botany, but with an ascetic flair that transforms 
transforms them into contemporary art. Over 100 flowers and plants are dissected and organized into chapters on color. Reds, purples, whites, yellows, blues, together with information on what they are, where they were found, how to use them, and other unusual facts. Robbie's publisher, Clearview, also published Shane Connolly's books. I'll have a link to more details to Robbie's new book in today's show notes. Visit DeborahPrincing.com for episode 321 show notes to see photos of Robbie at work and to admire a few sneak peek images of his book and some of his amazing fashion installations. If you're not already following his journeys and alluring posts, I'll have links to all his social places as well. And here's a bonus. My conversation with Robbie is followed by a quick discussion with Holly Chapel as we recap the second annual Flower Stock and discuss her new Holly Chapel collection for syndicate sales, unveiled at Flower Stock to much excitement. Sarah Collier, who photographed Flower Stock, has graciously shared a few photographs of designs that Robbie, Holly, and Ariella created using the new pillowcage mechanics. And I'll feature those at our show notes at DebraPrinzing.com as well. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. And I'm delighted today to introduce you to Robbie Honey. Hi, Robbie. Hey. Well, it's great. I can't believe it that I'm getting to sit here and interview you. Do you have a business name? I do. I go by my own name. So I'm eponymous. I'm Robbie okay. Honey. Robbie Honey. I love to use that word. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Um, not floral design studio or anything, just, no, just okay. Robbie honey. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, I am sure that many of our listeners, uh, follow you on Instagram, perhaps have heard you teach, um, know of your work, but I don't, um, I don't really know your story until you started telling me the other day. So I thought it would be really wonderful to share, um, this, you know, international man of flowers, uh, <laughs> where, where, where it all began. <laughs> yeah. I mean, can you, let's talk about your beginnings, you know, your beginning chapter in floral. How did you get started in floral design? So ever since I was a boy, I pretty much loved flowers and yeah, my great grandmother was a great influence. She wasn't necessarily a plants woman, but she loved flowers and they gave her an immense amount of happiness. And yeah, flowers just captured my heart. And not necessarily a common pastime for a boy growing up in Africa. Yeah. But my parents um, honored that in me and encouraged me and gave me a, a you know plot of land to grow stuff in. Land, and, you, I mean, and, and you grew up in, in Zimbabwe? I grew up in Zimbabwe. Yeah, I'm fifth generation African, fourth generation Zimbabwean. And uh, yeah, so an outdoor barefoot lifestyle, which was amazing and incredible plants and flowers, both in the garden and in the bush. And yeah, so I just, yeah, I just, that was me. I just, wow. I kicked it off loving flowers. And so I was initially a grower and um, I wasn't really interested in school. Huh. Um, so by the, as soon as I could leave, I did. So I left at 16. And the closest thing I could imagine for me to be immersed in flowers was to be a flower farmer. Mm. And we were growing a lot of roses in Zimbabwe at that time. Sadly, we don't anymore. Um, but this was when you were a teenager. Yeah, that's when I was 16. Wow. So my, you know, I, so I, I headed off to England at 16 to study horticulture. And I did that for one year. And I loved the botany side of it. That was just amazing. We got to learn 13 new plants a week. They were lined up in front of us. And we had to learn all of their names and then test at the end of the week. And sure. I excelled in that. Mm. I didn't excel in driving a tractor mm-hmm. or wiring a plug. or and I just wasn't interested. And mm-hmm. I'm a personality who, who, if I'm interested in something, I'm... 100% right. on, and right. I'm, I'm hungry for knowledge. Wonderful. And if I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure it's a good attribute. So when um, when I was in a f- two years of community college horticulture, when I thought I better learn more about what I want to write about, I recall how painful it was to like do these flashcards and, you know, come up with mnemonics and all these ways to remember the bot- bot- yeah. botanical names of and ID these plants. But it sounds like it wasn't hard for you. It was just, it just was a it natural... It just happened, yeah. I think, and ever since I was a kid, I started learning that. So before I even arrived, this, I had a... Yeah. And I had one plants woman in my life who was formidable. Um, and I think from the age of six or seven, she was teaching me. That's and brilliant. And I was 
You know. It was like learning another language to speak. That's the only other language I speak is botanical, <laughs> botanical Latin. <laughs> I've got a great French accent. <laughs> I've got, I, accents are great, but actually learning a language, I don't. I it comes do in handy in limited, exactly, limited circles. Yeah. So after one year of uh, horticulture school, what did you think you were going to do then in London? I still thought I was going to farm. So I went from college to Holland. Okay. Um, so and I went to work on a flower farm there, and I worked in the field. and Wow harvesting and digging and um you know sort of a an entitled child growing up in africa yeah. <laughs> suddenly working on a farm was it was good i mean it was good but yeah it was definitely not a experience i was used to um, you gained an appreciation for farming yeah and harvesting sunflowers i mean they're like giant nettles and they're heavy and you're like knee deep in mud in the field oh you weren't del- harvesting these delicate little tulips you oh, no, no. we were you know it was hard work it wow. was good um wow. and then from there i went to kenya and I did the same thing. I worked on a flower farm and again worked in the fields. Um, and that was good. I lived in a monastery. I had 45 mi- uh, minute walk to work. And What a know, period of your life. You were still great. in your 20s, right? Early no, 20s. I was like in a 17. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, my goodness. 17 or 18. Such a... Um, you're like an old man and a young man's... Uh, you know, like your soul was old, but you were still quite young. Yeah, it was extraordinary. And wow. after that... I just kind of figured farming is farming. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended that. I, I did an overland trip through Kenya up to Lake Turkana into the desert and to this little island, island called Lamu. And yeah, that all kind of captured my heart. And I just, I, I'm a creative, mm-hmm. which I've kind of always known, mm-hmm. but there wasn't necessarily an outlet that I could see that I could do. And I went back to Zimbabwe and I worked for an eccentric couple called the Hamilton Kings. He was a decorator, she was a, a landscape designer. And they just had this business. And they were extraordinary people, wildly eccentric. And yeah, I just loved being part of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that for a year. And then I set up my own landscaping company. And yeah, I loved it. Wow. Um, until we had a massive drought. Yeah. So there was, no, there was no water for garden. Wow. Much like what California has experienced from time to time. Exactly. Wow. So I, I was left doing hanging baskets for ambassadors' wives, mm. which didn't really fit my... Your grand vision. <laughs> so next up, I decided to study again. I was still... Pretty young. Yeah. And I must have been, I think at this point, 21. Okay. And so I went to Cape Town, and I did a year's interior design. Um, and that highlighted my you know, um, passion for texture and color, and that I had an eye for it. Of course. It's this wonderful, a different medium, right? Yeah. And it was great. However, it did highlight my dyscalculia and issue with numbers <laughs> and trying to draw in axonometric drawings. Or even, I mean, I'm not sure I ever achieved a perspective drawing. Right. It just blew my mind. But yeah. walk into a space and you know what to do with it. Oh, I know what to do. You know, I'm, I'm You're spatially, thinker, I'm dimensional yeah. and color and texture and, you know, perfect. But yeah, drawing. And, and it was just before CAD. Right. So it was Thank all long hand on, you know, it was a nightmare. So I was like, I, there is no way I can do second year. <laughs> I don't think I actually could have, um, however hard I pushed myself. Yes, you could have. And there's probably some learned helplessness there in regards to, to numbers. But I, I have the same problem, I get it. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even... They, well, we do something called O-levels and A-levels, and, and they just said... I mean, you have to write maths as part of your syllabus. They just said, just don't bother. Wow. Just learn your biology more. You know? Wow. So. Wow. Do you think that somebody did you a disservice uh, as a kid? Or, I mean, do you found your way? I found my way. Um, I'm not sure it was a disservice, but I could. I'm probably smart is the wrong way, but I, I could probably do a more more arithmetic than I think. Absolutely. And I'm only learning how to use a spreadsheet and since two weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. And you are running a business, so you, yeah. you know how to apply it. If, I do, but I've always had other people doing yeah. that stuff for me. Yeah. And I'm I'm stepping out. And it feels great. Good for you. Yeah. Wow. At the age of 42. I'm using a spreadsheet. Can you handle it? Is that just for budgeting or... Mm. I mean, that's yeah, looking ahead of the year and mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I, I can actually do that. And I have an accountant. I have a bookkeeper. Right. But, yeah. So we are fast forwarding a little bit. Uh, you, I, I, I'm sensing that there's this botany, horticulture, this creative something you were yearning for. And then you did the interior design yeah. study. And then what next? So then I decided I'd bright lights in the big city of London. Yeah. So, um, and I've always been an Anglophile. Um, I'm, you know, fully African, um, as I say, fifth generation. But, mm-hmm. And I'd seen a magazine with a glossy pull out of who's who in the events industry, like who does lighting, who does catering, who does flowers. And I was just like, 
oh my goodness, this is so glamorous, this is so amazing, I want to work in this industry, doing whatever. Um, the stars in your eyes. Yeah. Um, and so 23, I moved there. A friend of a friend had a, a big event florist company. And I, she hired me as a apprentice. Wow. And I worked seven days a week. I got up at three o'clock in the morning on Mondays. And I flipping loved it. I would wow. have done it for free. You found your, you found your, your tribe. Yeah. And we were working for incredible companies and, and venues. Windsor Castle, the Natural History Museum. I mean, just... Wow, oh, Robbie. Um, and so, um, yeah, it just blew my mind. Was that firm in the Who's Who article you had seen? Oh, totally. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, you, you, you went in at the bottom, but yeah. you were in with the people you wanted to learn from. Exactly. Wow. Um, and Ming was, Ming Vivas Carter, she was very, she was classically trained with a company called Pulbrook and Gould, who's one of the oldest um, London florists. And when she studied, she was not allowed to touch a flower for the first year. Wow. All she was allowed to do was to bash the foliage, sweep the floor. And if they, she was allowed to touch flowers with the old dead flowers to arrange. Wow. So hardcore. Just, just to even experience flowers, she had to take the cast-offs. Very Cinderella story. Totally. And, and, so, and whenever an arrangement was done, they would turn it upside down and shake it. And if anything came out, redo it. Wow. So hardcore. Wow. So when I arrived, she gave me 55 red roses and said, put that together for a store on Bond Street. Because she didn't like that, that kind of um, apprenticeship and she wanted to no, give you a No, so she just one. threw me in the deep end. Um, and I was probably a little bit precocious. <laughs> um, You're allowed. Yeah, and yeah, I just, yeah, it was great. So, and she, although she was classically trained, she trained me classically, but her style was modern. So she was contemporary. Okay. And Ming... What was, what was Viva's Carter. Okay. And what is this, what was the studio called or the name? Um, Viva's Carter Flowers. Viva's Carter. Okay. Yeah. Is it still in existence? It is. They just oh. won a gold at the Chelsea Flower Show last year. No way. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, that's that's good. We can go go see what that was all like and follow a link to that. But. Yeah. So, yes, I, yeah. She, she really gave me an incredible grounding and I have the utmost respect for her. And a, a deep affection. Mm. You know, we probably see a, each other twice a year in mm -hmm. the flower market, but yeah. Over over the course of how many years were you together working? One year. One year. Yeah, I do. You have a lot of these I do, one I, year I do it one year, one year. <laughs> so I'm, I'm one year horticulture, one year interior design. I then studied photography at art school for one year. I love it. Moved to London, one year. And then um, I wanted to see more. So I started to be a freelancer for other companies and started to pick up my own work. Started to move in a crowd that um, a lot of interesting people were in. Um, again, blindly confident, mm. precocious, mm -hmm. young, um, and somehow inserted myself into quite a glamorous crowd. And that was great. Yeah. Um, you so were with all the beautiful people. Yeah. So Maybe I was, you were I was one kind of them. Of, I, no, I was just kind of the least important guest. <laughs> There's a thing known as a ligger. Uh -huh. You know, the least important guest to the party. You're invited, but you're, you know, you're, you're, you're a nobody. <laughs> I forgot that term. I love it. Um, so I was kind of, I had a camera. I was doing reportage. And there's a, a, a well-known um, English designer called Nicky Haslam. And so um, I was starting to do styling for him and doing flowers. And so, yeah, he was going to all these parties. And I would just turn up with my camera and, you know, he was just take pictures and... <laughs> Yeah. I it, love it. It was great. And I found myself <laughs> sitting next to Jerry Hall at a dinner after she'd just come off stage. And she was like, uh, I love passion flowers. They grow wild in Texas, which is where I'm from. And I'm just like starstruck. You know, <laughs> I'm 23 and I'm, you know. Anyway. At least you knew who she was. I did. You just played it cool. I, I totally played it cool. Yeah. But this was only for a year. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I was like, you know, th this, is, this is not a, a lifestyle. You know, I, I want to work and do something. Um... And then I met the PR for Hermes, um, the French fashion house, and we clicked. Wow. I do what I always do, which is I always send people flowers. Wow. Um, that you've arranged. That I've arranged. You know, you meet somebody, it's like, I mean, why not? So you met the PR people for Hermes at a party or something? or, or something? No, through friends. Okay. Um, I was just, just one woman. It wasn't a business thing at all. Oh, no, not a business thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. But you just sent her some flowers. I mean, entirely strategic. Yeah, seriously, it's brilliant. Um, and so she invited me to do a small event, um, and it was a fashion show in an underground car park, and we used um, burgundy sunflowers and chocolate cosmos. Mm. Um, the whole feeling was kind of, not dead, but kind of, you know, dark colors. Um, yeah. Yeah. And she liked that. 
So she invited me to do something bigger and I was on time, in budget, and I probably wasn't in my budget. I was in her budget <laughs> and I was overspending. This has got to be amazing, <laughs> which is not good business. How profitable was that? <laughs> not profitable at all. I think a lot of people can relate to that problem. <laughs> and it is a problem. But you were on her budget, so that get you, in, got you invited I, I, back. Yeah, exactly. In budget, on time, beautiful flowers. And soon I was doing weekly flowers for Hermes. Oh my um, gosh. And... What did that mean? At their flagship store? Yeah, they had two stores okay. and every Monday I would deliver fresh flowers and every Thursday I'd refresh them. And so that started. What a gig. Yeah, what a gig. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 25. They're my first fashion client. Um, I did a garden for them outside their store for Chelsea Flasher. And uh, it was, it wasn't quite a parterre, but they just released their fragrance. Um, am I going to get this name right? Jardin, a Mediterranean garden. Okay. I'm not going to try and say that. Yes. Much. So you had a theme to follow. I did, and we had sort of pencil cypresses either side, and almost like a parterre of lavender and white agapanthus. And then in the center, I'm using helixine. We had green and like chartreuse, and we had that sort of iconic MSH. Yes. And yeah, it went down well, and Dior was over the road. And they assumed I was a garden designer. They said, will you come and design a garden for our terrace and our courtyard? So I did that. And Um, you, in the past, had been a landscaper. I had, exactly. So you could do it. I had a structure of 12 enormous magnolia grandiflora and then just a repeat pattern of white flowers and box balls which I changed from summer to winter so white cyclamen in winter and hydrangeas or um, pelargoniums in summer and again PR happened to be my sister-in-law's good friend Mm. so birthday sent her a big bunch of flowers soon I was doing the weekly flowers for Dior did Hermes get upset that you were doing Dior too or did they even know I didn't know oh But, you, but it kind of created an industry niche for you. It did. And then Tor Gooder, who was Hermes, left to Giorgio Armani. She took Matteo Armani as her go-to florist. And then I gained a fashionable reputation for being a fashion florist. How cool. Um, I mean, frankly, you've got to be good at flowers, but it's all about customer service. Mm-hmm. I mean, fashion clients, got to love them. Their budgets are small and they're, night- they're an absolute nightmare. Right. And... They but, want more than their 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 grand dreams don't fit their budgets. No, and they're capricious. Yes. And how high are you going to jump? I'm going to jump high because there's ten other florists waiting who would like that job. Right, right. And and I love those nuanced briefs that they send that mean absolutely nothing, and they've got <laughs> colors that are you know are only on a Pantone you know Pantone book. They don't have anything to do with flowers, and you've got to navigate that. And generally the idea that you give them the first, which they go shock horror, we can't possibly do that, is the one that they use because mm-hmm. it's on budget. And mm-hmm. um, Wait, I don't know what you mean by that. You, you, were you trying to trick them into taking the one you wanted? or Not even trick them. It's kind of like um, we did this for the launch of Dior's uh, Miss Dior fragrance. I, we, I created this bower of roses and jasmine. Um, and the British fashion photographer, Tim Walker, had done this incredible campaign. So we created this fresh um, for the, a journalist press launch. Uh, and they loved it. And they were like, we want this for the whole week in a department store called Selfridges. And I'm like, super. But it's spring. The heating is on. Um, we can't really use water in this design. So I'm going to suggest that we use um, silk flowers, artificial. Mon Dieu, Christian Dior, we do not use artificial flowers. Oh. I'm like, fine, we can use fresh, but we're going to need to go in every day. We're going to replace the flowers. I'm going to need a staff of like seven. Um, and it's going to cost this much. It's going to cost this much. And so I showed them the budget and they were like, oh, mon dieu. And you know, so I said, oh, I don't worry, I have a solution. Uh, uh, what? Um, well, we could use very good artificial flowers and recreate this exactly. Oh, marvelous. What a wonderful idea. I mean, I had to show them every single element. Yes. But it came around. And, and then I did a, a similar story. I did a catwalk show for an up-and-come designer who is fated as the new Alexander McQueen. Her name is Mary Katransu. Okay. She wanted to create fields of tulips down a catwalk, catwalk in autumn. Mm, when it's kind of hard to find. You can grow them. Right. Um, and she had this incredible collection which had silk printed with um, photographs of Dutch fields of tulips. Oh, sure. So, of course, it, you, you got the idea. So, I'm like, I mean... Mary, tulips, once they're cut, they do all sorts of weird things. I mean, mm-hmm. they grow. They're, you're never going to get that really straight up and down feel that you want. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but carnations will be excellent because we can get them all to stand straight. They're in these bright colors that you want. And again, no, we're not using carnations. 
awful, cheap, horrible flowers. I'm like, okay. I mean, we could use roses, but that's it's not going to quite get it. But she's like, yeah, roses is good because they sound a bit more expensive. Anyway, gave her a quote for roses. You know, oh my goodness, that's more than you know the budget for. Yeah. Great. I have a solution: carnations. And we did a catwalk <laughs> of seventeen thousand carnations and kind of some ombre that went from red into pink into yellow into white and they sort of kind of merged and I bet it was beautiful it was I think it's one of the things I'm proudest wow. that I did um, and I was on the front page of the Telegraph oh my gosh people loved it and um, really most people didn't probably make the connection that the flowers on her models dresses were different than what they were exactly because the, the models went down and you could just see these stripes of color and kind of just flowing yeah. garments and I, I think that's one of the things I'm proudest of. And I'm quite monofloral. Um, mm. Monofloral, I like that term. I, do you know what? Honestly, I'm not sure what I know what my style is anymore. Because mm-hmm. I was very monofloral, very compact, very color-blocked. Uh, but I think I'm arranging flowers more from the heart, mm-hmm. more kind of natural, and, and probably inspired by my friend Shane Connolly and Ariella and just seeing, just kind of going with it. The arrangement that you did yesterday was... was um, very loose and un- unstructured, yeah. and you had probably what, like twenty different botanical elements in yeah, there. It which, wasn't mono at all. It was it was the palette was analogous, but yeah. it wasn't monochromatic. Yeah, or so I'm I'm I'm, I'm off piste entirely. Yeah, which I kind of love. Yeah, you know it's interesting. Um, I often ask people to describe their their style, their aesthetic. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I do that. Maybe there's, you know, Ariello yesterday was saying you need to have a ability to design in every style. So, which I entirely agree with. Okay. You've got to design for your client. Mm-hmm. Um, but if somebody says, "What is your style?" I'd say my style is classic contemporary. Mm-hmm. And people say, "Well, what does that mean?" It's like, well, um, I've studied interior design. Um, I was trained classically. I have an understanding of classical design, but I'm quite contemporary. So I kind of mix the two. And I suppose that in an interior, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that's how I describe my style. Um, there was a point in your life where you kind of walked away from all of the event world. The event work, yeah. Yeah. What? what when was that? And and that was the end of two thousand and eleven. Okay. I I just kind of evaluated my life and looked at it. I thought I can be doing this in ten years' time, often working seven days a week, um, paying six staff, and uh, yeah, I thought I don't want to do this anymore. And it was just. It was suddenly like I breathed for the first time in like five years. I was like, a realization. I don't have to, I don't have to do this. I'm not tied to, to this life. Right. Um, you, weren't, I, you weren't deriving your self-identity no. from... And I, I'd achieved what I wanted yeah. to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in the magazines. I mean, it was ironic. I'd got... And I'm not sure that was ever actually a goal, but it probably was. But you mean the magazine that you admired when you were 21? Yeah. I love you it. Know, I'd been fated as Tatler's, you know, one of the top 10 florists and... And I was like, I'm done. Um, wildly unpopular decision with um, my family, my f- not necessarily my friends, but my team. You know, I put 11 years in building up this company. Um, you had a lot of people with you for that period of time? Yeah, or? and I was told I was committing career suicide. Hmm. And I had no idea what I was going to do. Hmm. I knew maybe I could teach. But it was a huge weight um, off me that I hadn't, wasn't really aware that was there. Um, and I deconstructed in three months. Um, I had big contracts. I had, you know, big law firms who I did flowers for every, you know, every week. And I did a final Christmas installation for one big law firm. And uh, yeah, I passed on my clients to a business partner mm-hmm. who I worked with for eleven years, an amazing woman called Lulu. And so she took those to another company because you wanted to care for your clients and you made sure they were well cared yeah, for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did your employees find other work? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, and I, you know, I paid a redundancy to everybody and including myself and, you know, I never really paid myself very well. Um, and I sold my props to another company, which my business partner took, sold my lease. And I honestly, I didn't walk away with much. And you did this all in three months. Three months. Wow. And I took a bit of a sabbatical. Um, and the blessing was that my grandmother had passed on a living inheritance mm. to my mother who passed it on to my brother and I. So mm. I, I had this cushioning mm-hmm. um, to work with. That is a gift. And, and you respected it and you didn't, it sounds like you 
you treat yeah. it with with a lot of awe and and great gratitude. Yeah, I think my mother was horrified that I was suddenly you know <laughs> decided to live on this nest egg that I'd been given. <laughs> oh well, uh, that's what it's for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I started I started teaching at Flaskell, New York, um, and then I started teaching in China. And then a long held dream was to work in fragrance and. I'd been given a, a diptyque scented candle when I was 21, and I just couldn't believe that a, the scent of a fig tree could be captured in wax that mm. really smelled like a fig tree in a hot day in the south of France when mm. I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So sort of slightly urinous, but sweet, but mm-hmm. woody, but I was like, oh my goodness. And I knew I wanted to play that game. Wow. So a business partner, or a new business partner, a good friend, we started working on that and found a factory in Paris. And so yeah, achieved that goal and yeah, so a scented candle line? Collection. Oh, yeah. and is it still available? Still, yep, absolutely. Not, not here yet. Um, what is it sold in California? But yeah, Fortnum & Mason, a store in London and yes. online. And What's the, is it Robbie Honey? Yep. And at the moment we're four white flowers. So we're um, Lily the Valley, Muguet, uh, Jasmine, Casablanca Lily and Tuberose. And so people in the U.S. can order it um, online. Not yet. Okay, so we're getting there. You're getting there. All right. Um, we we'll can just... Flaskel, New York, we'll probably be stocking them soon. Oh, well, that would holidays. be wonderful. Yeah. That would be wonderful. And the goal was to capture the natural scent of flowers as closely as possible. So you had to learn per- perfume uh, science, basically, right? Kind or... of. I mean, I'm not a perfumer. I'm not a nose, but I worked alongside of perfumers, and I know what's good, and I know what's real. Right. Um, you were you were kind of the uh, discerning nose that kinda, determined... Yeah. yeah. You knew what jasmine smells like in what the garden. What true jasmine smells yeah. like, exactly. Wow. So that, that was my trip. Um, How exciting. Do, are you going to keep adding to that collection? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. different colored flowers? or? Yeah, no, yeah my, I'm, I will share some of those with you later. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just laughing like when you said you're not monofloral, but like you kind of are. I kind of am, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the China thing fascinates me. Um, you, uh, Holly Chapel, who's our host here, had made a comment to me some, like, oh, Robbie's going from you know, from the U.S. back to China and back, back to the U.S., back to China. Like, she made it sound like you were a ping pong, but what, what is your... I am your... kind of a ping pong. Um, and Holly, Holly has been to the same school. I introduced Holly to the school. Um, for the last two years, I have traveled a lot. Um, and I've ping ponged from London to New York to Virginia to China um, to Japan, back to Zimbabwe, where I'm from. I spend two or three times a year I go out there. Um, but frankly, I'm done with that mm. I mean I, I will go to China and teach I will go places but um, I think I need some stability is not the word because I've, maybe I've been look... stable yeah so yeah. I'm going to go back to my office and, and really work on the candle side of my business is that in London? that's in London okay. yeah, so I, I've kept an office there um, but I have a desire to be more static mm-hmm. and I have loved being a gypsy mm-hmm. I've been a total gypsy just teaching where all over how wonderful yeah but you're calling your own shots it's like you're not you're not burned out. You're just kind of ready to pursue no. something else. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, but I'm not burned out. <laughs> so um, all along, uh, in you know, during this this period from 2011 to now, so yeah. maybe six years, it's been pretty intensive of traveling and teaching. Yeah. That's taken up more time than say um, doing the candle line probably. And um, yeah. And have you been doing anything else in there, like working on a book or something? I have been working on a book. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the occasional sexy event will come along with okay. a, a designer who I want to work with. So I did something with Carolina Herrera for Chelsea Flasher. So I do that kind of thing. Like a commission. Yeah. Like you'll, you'll sign on for a project kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it might get paid in clothes, but, you know, it's, well, it's fun and it looks good. Yeah. You know, it's that, it's that kind of, again, it's PR. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so a book. So I started photographing, well, started drawing, actually. I, I, I really believe that creativity begets creativity. And uh, I was given this book called One Sketch a Day. So it's got a oh, little, little... yeah. Yeah. So Neat. I started doing that. And I just I remember... I mean, I have a picture. I started sketching a, um, a ginger lily, Hadichium. Mm-hmm. And I, I did the whole flower. And then I just absentmindedly deconstructed it, took it apart. And then I drew that. And then I kind of looked and I thought, hmm. And then I started photographing that flower was taken apart. And that kind of developed into something. And... I ended up shooting on a grey background and in quite a geometri- geometrical format, kind of dictated by Instagram, actually. Right. You know, Instagram, the, the it, it, it only did square in those days. Oh. I mean, now you can post in different 
um, capacities, but then it would just did square. Oh, I, did, I forgot about that. Which kind of dictated the square format, and I chose a grey background. Grey has always been my company brand color. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just developed this format, and I kind of love it. I mean, it, it does hark back to botanical drawings and stuff like that, but that mm-hmm. wasn't kind of the inspiration, but it's definitely an influence. And yeah, I just kept repeating it and doing it and loving it. I mean, I would just, just want to do it all day, every day. So your starting point was the actual flower? The actual flower. And okay. Then, and it takes about an hour for each um, composition. Mm-hmm. And by the time you've finished working out what's beautiful, it's dead. You have to re-harvest and pick it and photograph it. Hmm. That's interesting. And so you have the reference. Uh, yeah. So I take 50 frames until I've got there. But, I mean, they are not for um, academic purpose. No. And they're not a true representation because I just photograph what I think is beautiful. Right. So I, in one, I will just have... I mean, I try and use everything from the flower. Um, and I may have a leaf. I might not have a leaf. I may have a root. I might not. So. Oh, interesting. And okay. I remember showing it to a plants woman friend of mine. And she just kind of looked askance at this. She was, she, I expected her to go, wow, they're so beautiful. And she's, she was trying to see what formula I was working to. Mm-hmm. And she was like, these are not complete. But every flower had its own uh, treatment. It, it, it wasn't one recipe. No, it was always square, always on gray. But like you said, you might have the roots, you might have the petals, yeah. you might have plucked yeah. the petals off. Or... And for a botanist, it was like, well, these are not complete. Oh, yeah, I see. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have gotten into some kind of uh, Royal Horticultural Society. Like no, but, the... they, but they are very botanical. It's kind yes. of a weird. So um, the book that is coming out is called The Accidental Botanist. I love it. And everything has been shot on my iPhones. I, um, you told me that last night. I, was, I couldn't believe it. That is fabulous. Maybe iPhone needs to sponsor this book. Yeah, Apple. maybe iPhone or Apple. Instagram. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they both dictate. I mean, and I've tried to shoot on a real camera, um, but I can't anymore. I mean, I study photography. I mean, I have a, a Canon EOS. I just can't do it. So, uh, Robbie, this, was this all done in the same uh, studio setting? Because some all, of you were traveling. All natural light. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And so do my you... lighting is always slightly different. There's sh- there may be shadow. There might not be shadow. And... I am a perfectionist. It's not something I'm proud of. But if I thought I would ever do a book, I would. I had all the formats, and I would reshoot everything perfectly. Right. And so it was a personal project at one. It was really yeah. just for your own. Oh yeah, delight. I just it. Well, yeah. And I thought, you know, I would do it, and you know, publisher. I was introduced to a publisher through another florist friend, Shane Connolly, and they said, "Let's see this work." And they're like, "No, it's good enough." And I'm like, "Really?" And they're like, "Yeah, it's good enough. Let's let's run with this." That's um, awesome. That says so much about where we're at in publishing today um, and the, the acknowledgement that iPhone photography is um, at this level. Yeah, and I, I'm so blessed um, with Clearview Books, the publisher I'm working with, that in, in a day of digital photography and an online platform, I'm able to hard copy publish exactly. my work. Exactly, it's so exciting. It, yeah, it's so, amazing. So The Accidental Botanist, Yeah, I love the title, by the way. It's a good title, yeah, not mine. That uh, that's okay. That's what book publishers are for, right? They come yeah. up with good titles. What is, uh, roughly how many um, different cultivars or genus do you have in the book? That is a very good question. We're going by color. Oh, oh okay. Um, and I will share some of those with you. I and how many, I mean, we've got over 150 images, but they'll probably... Uh, edit a little bit. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I've got 300 and all. Oh. So we're going to edit that down. So there'll probably be about 150. But there'll be yellow irises maybe and blue irises. I see. Um, oh, yeah. I see. So the images will be about 150. I reckon, yeah. And you're, are you writing text to all of these? So I've written a lot. I took um, three weeks out and I went back to Zimbabwe and I wrote nine hours a day. And I just wrote... I, a, I wrote a narrative, um, which has probably ended up being quite autobiographical of my family arriving in Africa and stuff like that. Whether any of that is of any interest and anything to do with the book, I don't know. Um, I hope so. But I did that. I mean, it was great, and I love doing that. And I do have a, an interesting family history of, you know, coming from Cyprus. And, and then I just wrote each story of each plant or flower of how or why. Um, either, you know, I, I harvest from strange places, and I'm a complete botanical poacher. Mm-hmm. I'm not ashamed to say. Mm-hmm. I should be ashamed, but if I see a beautiful flower, I'm going to pick it and I'm going to photograph it. You liked that idea that uh, Ariella proposed of having like the neon construction vest so yeah, you can absolutely. just walk on any location. Oh, yeah, and I'm, I'm bold. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I'm, I'm a, a civic pruning. But you're not taking 900 stems, you're taking maybe two or three. 
Yeah, but there is a ruthlessness about it that I don't like. It. Okay. Yeah, it's I, a bit I, of a disease, huh? <laughs> but and I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't. I, there's that. You know, I, I'm going to get my photograph. Okay, but listen, when the book comes out, you'll have more street cred, and people will let you come poach. So True. keep it in your back pocket. Exactly, and um, but yeah, so it's a, I, I've written a story about each. You know, I'm, that's I'm, lovely. I'm, it might be a family. Like my grandfather always, you know, grew these, and he planted this tree, and I've collected from this tree. Or so yeah, there's a, there's a history in the story, and a lot of the time is going into the bush in Zimbabwe and talking about that place. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, I think that I'm so personally focused on seasonality and locale that. Um, my first question I ask whenever I see any flower is who grew it and yeah. where was it grown? And then you're kind of doing that. And very few of the flowers in my book are Dutch grown or anything like that because I, I just I do them in the field. Right, right. I'd say probably six or seven have, are actually bought from a flower market. Interesting. Everything else is, yeah. So the audience really will be gardeners. They'll be florists, flower farmers, and they'll be people who just love nature, I would think. I would, yeah, I think there's a very much a, a nature approach. I mean, I've done five flower arrangements. So at the beginning of each color, oh, um, so I've done a white flower arrangement, great. Um, which is, I mean, so, so super simple. And then mm-hmm. I've done the same throughout. You did an ma- amazing white bouquet yesterday. Yeah, I love doing that. I mean, white, truly white is my favorite color to arrange with. I think without color, you could really focus on shape and texture. And white and green is, yeah, it's, it's my thing. Oh, wow. I love it. So the book is coming out in the early spring. Early spring. Okay. Yeah. And um, it will be available in the U.S. It will I mean, be available in the U.S. And also, I shouldn't so dwell on that because the listeners of this podcast are all over the world. So hopefully, thanks to internet, people can yeah. can find it. And you'll be doing some traveling. Uh, to, yeah, some traveling. I'm not, I'm not going to be whirling as much as I was. No, but like the, bu- the book the book uh, tour. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, will, I will be intentionally traveling. That's so cool. I, I love your story. And I know that there's a lot more chapters to come. Um, and that you kind of have this um, openness to what comes next, and, and that's really I think, delightful. I think it's a, a faith and a trust of what's going to happen is going to happen, um, which is not necessarily the spirit. Which yeah, I'm 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 driven, but I'm not driven. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I yeah, it's going to happen. Cool. Which is how I and you know I, after in 2011 I stepped off a cliff. And I bet your mother has calmed down a little bit knowing that. Uh, <laughs> Is she still alive? My mother's still alive. Yeah. She's been pretty ill for 10 years, but she's flipping still alive and amazingly. And wow. That three weeks I was out riding, we picked sweet peas every morning together. Which Wonderful. Bliss. Um, so sweet peas are in the book. There is a sweet pea in the book, whether it'll make the book. Okay. So I, I, I have no... Yeah. That's I, all right. You'll have some reason to use those, uh, all the thing, everything from the cutting room floor. You'll still own those yeah. photos. And, yeah. And, and, the, and the cover of the book is... is, is Nothing I ever thought I would do. Okay. It's in colors I never thought I would do. I think I probably imagined a, probably quite an art book, you know, very geometric. I'm very geometric and square and gray, and but I, I didn't think that will sell. Okay. I'm excited to see so, it. Yeah. Robbie, thank you so much for taking time to sit down. In, Such a pleasure. In, so good to meet you and oh, to hang out. I feel the same way, and I just, um, I, I, I'm excited to see what you designed this afternoon. And yeah. um, I'm going to be using mums for the first time ever. I saw your book. We, we, don't, we don't have mums, mum culture in, in England. I mean, we do, but nobody touches them. Right. They're just having a renaissance in the yeah. U.S. But you, you have a thing for them here. You, you have pots of them and you do it in a certain time of year. Yes. The garden center mum, the color, the color bowl. Yeah. But from the cut flower farming world, that is where they're having a renaissance. Really? Those, those specialty mums. Yeah. Yeah. And pretty colors. Yeah. So, oh, that's exciting. I saw your bucket. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Thank and, you. And we'll have um, some of these photos that Robbie shares, uh, the ones that are, you know, that aren't embargoed until next spring yeah. right, with the book um, and links to all of his social places at uh, our show notes at deborahprinzing.com. And I'm, I'm just uh, really grateful that you took the time to do this with me Likewise. today. Thanks. to finally grab my friend Holly Chapel on the line. We were together for 
three or four days and kept saying we were going to record a little uh, report about flower stock uh, when I was out at Hope Farm. And time just got away from us. So I, I asked Holly to jump on the line with me this morning. Hi, Holly. Hi, Deborah. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. I'm great. So flower stock was beyond anything I could imagine. I just have to compliment you on uh, what a remarkable idea and kind of happening and phenomenon uh, this gathering was. Um, which actually took place, uh, by the time people hear this, almost a month ago, um, on October 9th and 10th at your farm in um, Waterford, Virginia. And can you just talk about what flower stock is and what your dreams and hopes were for it? I mean, this was year two, right? So, yes, this was year two. Um, it was born from the more formal conferences that we have um, and the workshops and we always noted that at the end of the day, we would stay up and talk late into the night, and we just love being together so much, you know, designers. And mm-hmm. so what we realized was that if it were to happen in a field and all we had was each other and some flowers, we would have a good time together. And so I, that put uh, Woodstock into my mind, and I always thought the play on Woodstock and Flower Stock was really fun, and I just decided that we would go go for this and have this event that's a little less formal, more about sitting, rejoicing, relaxing, and watching others present. There's no anxiety about having to, you know, actually do hands-on workshops, and you know, we had the music and the camping tents, and it was just, it's just full-on goodness. Yeah, and you you do bring in, and last year you had an amazing lineup of speakers, and some of those people returned this year, and you had some new folks, and, um, you know, just the chance to be in a rather intimate setting watching people like you, Holly, uh, and as, as well as your Peers, Ariella and Robbie Honey and uh, Pat and Sherry from Southern Blooms and James from oh, James Lutke, um and you know just everyone designing in this rather close environment where you can just have a conversation with a designer. That that alone was phenomenal. And that was just part of it. It is. It's just such an incredible experience to spend time with them in a more casual environment. You mm-hmm. know, to dance with them at night and to go to campfires with them and to eat with them and to just relax. And there's a very um, almost meditative um, experience as you're watching, you know, them design. And, you know, one of the most wonderful things is we got incredible feedback about your class, which you know, you taking people through that exercise of descriptive writing, you know, I am so excited about that. I had multiple people tell me how much they loved working with you, so that was a big part of the event, too. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, that was the setting that really nurtured that because people had a chance to slow down a little bit and take some quiet time and just be with alone with their thoughts and their words and the photos of their flowers on their phone that they were describing. So, yeah, it, it was was really special and um you know i just i just think that those moments are always transformative for people because you meet inspiring uh kindred spirits and you you know you learn new techniques and you maybe see botanicals that you've never seen someone design with like all the stuff you guys foraged i mean that alone was hysterical that you know there were quasi-weeds being designed with that looked so elegant, and, uh, you know, that's the sort of, all of that adds up to kind of a a little party in your brain where you're thinking about new possibilities for what, what you might want to do with your career, and I think that's a lot, really, people are looking to be recharged and, and maybe fueled a little bit, don't you think? I, I absolutely do, and I mean, I think, too, there was so much local product there, you know, things from the farm as well that it really... It is very exciting and inspiring, and we need downtime and we need time to enjoy and embrace what we do because often so much of our work is kind of grueling. So it's important to reconnect with why we love what we do. So, you know, the event um, is something that I really feel strongly about and needs to continue, and so we're already figuring out how we make it bigger and better for next year. 
And, um, oh. you know, I'm thankful for the farm and the way it functions. It um, is completely conducive to this kind of event, so we're super excited. Yeah, and I hope Flower Farm is not where you live, right? It's, it's in your community, right? So I live two miles down the road, and Hope was a farm that I actually watched get developed over the 25 years that I've lived, 30 years that I've lived on this road. Um, and the manor house and the 25 acres and all of the barns are the what all that is left of a 450-acre working farm. Wow. And so... Um, for three years, I watched it uh, sit on the market, and it, and thankfully for me, it didn't sell, and it reduced down in price by 50%. Otherwise, you know, a regular flower lady like myself would have never been able to obtain it. So it was all a, a miracle. And now the farm has new life and new purpose. And quite frankly, unless you have a function for all of those spaces, you know, unless People don't really farm on that scale anymore. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, now every barn has a purpose, and the manor house and the tenant house house our teachers and our students, and it's just a gift. And we're, you know, investing every year, you know, adding more peonies, adding more daffodils, adding more plant stocks so that it's a fun place to come to. Holly, <coughs> excuse me, Holly, you said students can stay there. You use, throughout the year, you use uh, the farm for, like, private instruction people come to hope to study with you um for sure you know one or or more day periods right that's right they do one-on-one intensives or we have the chapel designer workshops there the house the houses are empty on purpose because they're ready for photo shoots ready for editorial work um, they're not full of TVs and children's book bags. And, you know, it's just a place of inspiration. It is a registered bed and breakfast, and I can rent it to other people, but somehow it just feels more sacred if I only let my flower friends use it. <laughs> oh, speaking of photo shoots, I just have to say um, the dining room and the man, and this is a beautiful old stone farmhouse. I don't know. How old is the house? She's 1820, and she, oh my gosh, it's, it's a Quaker house. That was a Quaker farm. Oh my gosh! Well, she, I love that you've given her a persona. <laughs> she has a beautiful dining room, and while we were contiguous with Flower Stock, you were hosting a number of people from Syndicate Sales, your new partner, and I wanted you to talk about that. But I just have to compliment you on that dining room that you had completely styled for photography with, you know, obviously syndicate uh, products and vessels on the table, but a lot of your flowers. And it was just, oh, my gosh, and the light pouring in those multi-paned windows and the old wood, and it was just yummy. And I could yeah, see it's why. Great, it's a great place. And yeah. it, it was really fun because that's the other thing. The big thing that happened at Flower Stock is that, my um, mechanic, the egg, and then the pillow that I create, use to do centerpieces, mm-hmm. that product launched with Syndicate Sales. Um, and so we were able to show it to all of the students and the guests and, and, and the teachers. And um, we released that or announced that this will be released in January. And you can register to get the product um, at holly.syndicatesales.com. And you can get information and be the first to receive it when it comes out in January. It was a um, really moving and incredible experience to see this released and to see that Robbie and Ariella all embraced the product. All of the students got to try using it, and it was we we really weren't expecting all of that to happen. Um, this was just going to be an announcement, and it was going to be available to be seen. But, you know, Syndicate was incredible. They got enough product together for everyone to design with it, and all 15 students got to use it. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it was kind of like your coming out party, which which just added another layer of excitement to being together with all these creatives uh, who could see the expression on your face as... Your heroes, Robbie Honey and Ariella Shazar, were designing with something that you innovated, and it was it was, it was unbelievable. Fun. <laughs> um, and good thing. And uh, in anticipation of talking with you, you know, I have written a, a, a post, a blog post, um, 
at the Slow Flowers Journal website about this experience with some photos. So I'll link to that in, in our show notes for today. And then have a link to that sign-up landing page you discussed because I've already signed up for that. It's basically a way to get kind of the first information about ordering and pricing and availability of the uh, different egg-shaped and pillow-shaped mechanics that are now going to be, you know, a little bit less painful on the hands than chicken wire and maybe a little more uniform and standard for, for designers, especially if you're doing multiple arrangements, right? Right. And it's so exciting because the product is reusable, it's recyclable, and it allows the flowers to be directly in the water. Um, we're, you know, not having to use foam with this product. Mm-hmm. And you also are able to pick up the designs and move them from vessel to vessel. I think one of the biggest struggles about chicken wire shoved down into a bowl is that you can't um, get the design out later and fill it back up with water. Um, transportation of it, by the time you got to the job, most of the water had spilled out. With mm-hmm. this, you just pick up the design, fill the bowl back up with water, and then put the design back on. So it's really mm-hmm. it's super cool. And I have to say, the piece that you created and did your blog post on was absolutely beautiful. So, oh. so congratulations. It looks like the mechanic is working. There were some samples on the table, and I kind of just picked up this beautiful um, medium-shaped uh, pillow and the, and the compote, the clear plastic compote that looks like cut glass that goes with it. And I walked over to you and I'm like, Holly, can I take this home and play with it? <laughs> you were so nice to say yes, because I'm sure you had to keep tabs on all those samples rolling around, but <clears throat> I sure had fun. I will send them back if you need them. No, 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 no. I'm just glad you enjoyed it. I mean, it, your piece was gorgeous. And so that's really wonderful. And I'm glad it's working. What does, <clears throat> what the difference is, I think, between using a massive chicken wire, which I never looks pretty. It's always sort of you're, you're hoping you want to hide it immediately. And this grid shaped pillow or the kind of oval egg shaped um, <clears throat> larger piece or pieces for more like hand tied bouquets, <clears throat> they are, they are made of plastic, but that, that gives it such a kind of lightweight un- and lightweight feature and uniformity. And there's sort of this, I don't know, this feeling that it's in balance and it's completely, you know, not going to tilt over. And, you know, just the way it was engineered, there's a lot of benefits to it. And, like you said, it it can be recyclable. Lots of municipalities are recycling plastic now. I know mine does. But you want to use it over and over again, uh, and it's got a a shelf life that's practically endless. So I like it. I like that. Trent Harshman, who is the product developer, worked really closely with me on this, and we, you know, made some of the holes and spaces bigger um, because we know where. Because I'm a because I'm a designer, I know where I, you know, need to be able to have more access, and you know, where mm-hmm. I want stems to cascade. And I mean, he was amazing. He heard everything that I wished and wanted for with this product and made it happen. So it it it, it mm-hmm. really does work. It's really exciting. That's a really good point. I noticed that that there's sort of a little um they're not they're not all square hole, uh openings. Some of them are a little bit um irregular doubled. shaped. Yeah, doubled. Yeah, and then that way a larger stem can be you're not having to fight to push it through and um it can accommodate woodies as well as herbaceous uh, elements. So, as I understand it, Holly, um that is going to uh People can will eventually very soon find out about pre-ordering, and then the products will be on um, go into shipping or production mode in in first of the year, right? That's correct. That's awesome. And the end goal and hope is, and the end goal and hope is that we will be able to get the orders, you know, coming in enough that we can change manufacturing to the United States. That's I know. That's the goal. Yes, and in fact, the very first thing that uh, president of Syndicate Sales, Laura Scheinall, made sure I understood is like her her ultimate goal is to bring all this manufacturing to their factory in Indiana. And um, of course, I would love nothing more. And I, I just I I think there's a really strong business story there about uh, the hoops that companies have to jump through to try to bring manufacturing back to the U.S. and um, 
I, I really applaud Syndicate for, you know, having that be a, a, an ultimate. I think that's a very achievable goal within maybe a, a year or something like that. So, I hope so. I, you know, that's another reason why I'm with them. I love everything about this company. And, you know, it wasn't until I got to work on this project with them did I know um, did I know that they were a family-owned business, that they, you know, her grandparents created the water tube and the card at, you know, that is such a big part of their story, and it's exciting to, you know, connect my family to theirs and mm-hmm. to work mm-hmm. on this. Um, it's a little bit of a, I mean, for me right now, it's an, uh, you know, American dream for me. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. It's it's wonderful. I know you're going to be doing lots of, you know, tutorials and um, trainings with this. Uh, so, you know, this is just the, the, the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, exactly. So uh, flower stock is sort of hard to capture and share if you're not there. So I would suggest that you keep an eye out for uh, future announcements. Um, in the last two years, it's been in October. If you do it again, do you think it'll probably be, is that kind of a good time of year to have it? Yes, it will be October, um, and I think we set the date yesterday. I think it's going to be, I think the date is around the 16th of October. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So the danger in that is that we'll have a frost, but we're um, we're going for that date. I think it does you know, work for... Everyone, by that point, we need a break pretty badly. So. Yeah, yeah. And having it on a Monday, Tuesday allows people who still have a lot of wedding and, wedding and event work on their plate to come after a crazy Saturday or something like That's that. Absolutely correct. So it looks like flower stock will be on the 14th of October next year is the arrival date, and then Monday the 15th and Tuesday the 16th are the two days that the event will happen. So oh, okay. that is the plan. We set the date yesterday. Wow, I just got the chills. That's awesome. Okay. Well, Holly, I know we're kind of short on time, so anything else you want to add that I didn't ask you? No, I, I'm just grateful and thankful for your support, and I'm excited about the future, and I'm going to yeah. go harvest flowers because it's going to frost tonight. <laughs> okay, thanks for taking a few minutes to chat. I really appreciate it, and we're, of course, going to go into our main interview with um, the inimitable Robbie Honey, Robbie Honey. and so um, he might be telling a few stories about you uh, in that interview. I'm, I'm not sure, so we'll have to see. <laughs> All right, thank, thank you so much. Thanks, Holly. Appreciate it. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm so glad I got to introduce you to Robbie Honey and have a chat as well with Holly. As Holly mentioned, there is a page to sign up for the product release announcements for all the new mechanics she has developed with Syndicate Sales, and I'll share the link in our show notes. I also wrote about the collection and posted photos of my arrangement using the pillow cage at the Slow Flowers Journal online, so look for that link in our show notes too. By the time this episode is released on November 1st, I'll be heading out on my last trip of 2017. First, to a sold-out gathering hosted by Debbie Bosworth of Dandelion House Flower Farm and others in the New England Farmer Florist Connection, which will be held at Salted Root Farm in Marshmill, Massachusetts. And then I'll be in Phoenix for two days, two days of teaching at the Desert Botanic Gardens Artisanal Flower Series with fellow Slow Flowers member Morgan Anderson of The Floriculture and Arizona flower farmers Shanti Raid of Whipstone Farm and Anne of the Gardens at Tres Soli. I'm excited to meet new and familiar flower friends at these gatherings. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 249,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you to each one of you for downloading, listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. If you value the content you receive each week, I invite you to show your thanks and support the Slow Flowers podcast with a donation. The button can be found on our homepage in the right column. Your contributions will help make it possible to transcribe future episodes of the podcast. Thank you to our family of sponsors, Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of 50 family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing high-quality, American-grown peony flowers during the months of July and August. 
Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at lfgardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry with the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds available, supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnny'sseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at kinetictreefitness.com. Thank you.